Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. We're having a rough one this week because it's Season 6, Episode 19, Seeing Red. I'm your host, Cartoonist Dennis St. John, and uh, before we begin, I just wanted to warn everyone that we are going to be discussing some uh, tough subject matters this week, so consider this listener discretion advised. Uh, and we have returning guest, Cartoonist Maya Kobabe. Hello. Hi. Ma- Maya, how's it going? Very good. Glad to be here. Cool, cool. And uh, why don't the rest of you guys introduce yourselves in order of how many times you've left the house this week? Well, my name is John. I've left the house uh, the normal number of times for myself because I am a key worker in the United Kingdom and I have to go to work uh, as a teacher. Just the normal amount. Just like life is normal. As though. Uh, my name is Travis and I, yeah, I've left the house every day, of course, just like John. Uh, my name is Michael, and I just left the house all of my trips in uh, one go yesterday in order to do various home remodeling shopping. So I did it all at once, and I did it many times yesterday. Uh, and I'm also the virgin. I've only seen Buffy up to season six, episode 19. I've barely seen Buffy. <laughs> Before we dive into episode 19, let's do a flashback and do reactions to season six, episode 10, Wrecked. <laughs> Audience reactions. Uh, Mike, why don't you read Priceless's note? Priceless says, Buffy wears the same outfit. You just didn't notice she was wearing a skirt in the last episode. Uh, <laughs> our, you know what? Our failure to understand what Buffy was wearing in episode 10 of episode 9 of season 6 will haunt us till our dying days. It might, in <laughs> fact, be what our podcast is most remembered for. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Uh, John, why don't you read Andy's? Oh, okay. Andy Gerber says, did they ever expressly say that Rack was a demon? I was always under the impression that he was just a warlock. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what Rack is exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mike, why don't you read Garrett's? <laughs> Garrett, in a reaction to Rack, says, I hate this episode. One of the worst episodes of the show, IMO. Willow's journey goes from an insecure person wanting more power to magic to drug addict, drug addict, and turns her into a victim. It also retroactively turns Tara into her pusher, getting her more and more into drugs and magic. You've got Amy stealing sage rather than simply buying something from the market. How can anyone defend this crappy writing? <laughs> Regarding Spike's nakedness, James Margersters has complained about constantly being show naked, uh, being naked on the show, and wished she had no nudity, a no nudity clause like Sarah Michelle Gellar. Whoa. Okay. First, I don't know if this is the worst episode, but I, it is definitely a contender. Uh, I didn't think of Tara as a pusher, which is amazing. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> whoa. So J- Sarah Michelle Geller has a no nudity clause. That's like a good, if you're going to be the star of the show, that makes sense. But, yeah. <laughs> but I've never listened to these Masters interviews and I'm looking forward to it. That sounds delightful. Being complaining about being naked and also being amazingly handsome. <laughs> what a burden it is to be so ripped and handsome. 
Uh, Travis, why don't you read Ivana uh, uh, comment? <laughs> Ivana click Curse of Sunnydale. If you're a genius, you slowly turn into Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> Agreed. All right, let's go into the summary. Let's get bummed out by listening by listening to a recap. <laughs> The Summary Dawn is pleased to see that Willow and Tara are back together and confirms that Buffy and Spike are sleeping together. Spike also slept with Anya, so Dawn visits Spike to lecture him about hurting Buffy, while Buffy dodges bladed traps in the trio's lair. Meanwhile, the trio kill a demon in order to steal its orb so that Warren can power up. Lonely Xander, feeling sorry for himself, is drinking at the bronze when the trio show up, led by Warren, to hit on girls. Xander tries to intervene and is nearly killed by Warren. Spike shows up at Buffy's, maybe to apologize or convince her that they're in love, and ends up forcing himself on Buffy in the bathroom. Buffy kicks him away, and the Scoobies show up to tell Buffy about the trio's plan to steal cash from the amusement park. Uber Warren fights and taunts Buffy and has the upper hand until Jonathan tells her about the orbs. Buffy destroys them and would have gotten Warren too, except he escapes on a secret jetpack. Andrew and Jonathan, on the other hand, fail to escape and are hauled off to jail. Rather than deal with whatever it means to be an attempted rapist, Spike leaves town on a new redemption arc. And the next day, Warren shows up to take his revenge, shooting wildly, hitting Buffy, and killing Tara, leaving Willow seeing red. All right. <laughs> so good. Great lines. Great lines. Maya, why don't you start us off? The first one I wrote down was a little exchange between Warren and Buffy. Um, Warren starts, you seem a little off. Is this a bad day? Buffy says, it's getting better. And then a few beats later, Warren says, say goodnight, bitch. And then Buffy, I think, punches him out or destroys the orbs and says, goodnight, bitch, which is very satisfying. (laughs) Um, And then I also grabbed a much more tender line from very near the end of the episode um, when Xander says to Buffy, you'll find him. He won't be much good without his friends. The feels. Um, I enjoyed when uh, Jonathan uh, grabs onto Buffy and whispers in her ear, Orbs, smash his orbs. It's definitely, you know, not the most subtle bit of symbolism in Buffy history, but it works very well in this episode, I think. Uh, and it's also great to have that moment of Jonathan finally doing yeah. acting on his conscience that we've seen developing over the last few episodes. Yeah, um, I liked what could have been a miss, like a misread on Amber Benson's part, but it could have really been written this way when she goes, "So nerds, how are them? They?" just felt so awkward uh don when she discovers that uh tara and willow are back together is a like it's just an adorable scene in the hallway she's like i'm totally not here you guys you do whatever you want um i'll go watch tv downstairs really loud in the basement where i can't hear anything oh my god i love you guys (laughs) (laughs) um I uh, I had the I love the lines right before that. So we all love Don's lines in this episode. Um, Don says to Willow um, in the morning, "Is Buffy back yet?" Uh, Willow goes, "No, not yet. I'm sure everything will be fine. Just go back to bed." And Don says, "It's ten o'clock." <laughs> <laughs> 
I think we've all been there. (laughs) All right, let's do the kill count. The kill count. So we had two demons, one vampire, one incredibly heavy looking stone archway, totally destroyed by being punched, uh, multiple pummelings, and then um, one shot Slayer and uh, Terra this week. Um, so, yep, let's move on to weird noticings. Weird noticings. Yeah, so um, I haven't watched a Buffy episode in a while, but I feel like this one had more bare shoulders in it than I've perhaps seen in any other Buffy episode. <laughs> um, feel free to argue on that. Um, but it opens with bare shoulders. We get several people, just various points. And it's, I think it's very, like, you know, it's sweet. It's intimate. It sort of enforces the, like, everyone's, like, back together and very cute and cozy now. Um, and of course, just makes the rough parts of this episode even more shocking and terrible. Yeah. Um, just remember back when this show was on the WB and Willow and Tara barely showed any like physical affection. Yes. And now they're like naked for a whole episode. Basically. Um. I, I also, because I've sort of have skipped the episode since the last one that I was on the show for, um, I remember us having a huge conversation about like the first time they kissed on screen and what a big deal that was. And the, they kissed so many times in this episode, um, which, you know, ugh, just pulls on your heartstrings. Yeah. Well, the, the opening scene is just delightful. I mean, getting this time with Willow and Tara after gosh, almost a whole season, it feels like a part. It was really lovely to get this relationship back, and it felt like at an 11, uh, you know, of 10, where it's just super, super intimate, hanging out in bed for a little too long. It's really lovely. I, you know, this show does this thing to you where it makes you want the characters to be happy. Um, don't know what that's called. That's probably just watching any show. But, like, they really, it was really nice. Um and I, so I was partially suspicious about watching this episode with you all, and I will talk about this more, because um, Maya wanted to join, and then Travis was also insistent that we watch it all together. I'm like, oh, man, this will be a great episode, or something horrible will happen. So <laughs> this, one, this one set me up. Well done. I, I liked in the opening scene when uh, Willow was talking to Tara, and, and she was saying, you know, why did Buffy hide all this? Why why did she hide her relationship with Spike? First, it's funny that she found out and was like super upset. <laughs> that, did everyone else know? <laughs> and then and then you know she was like, why did Buffy hide this relationship? She didn't have to. And it's like, oh Willow, you hid, you hid so many things from Buffy. So <laughs> many things. <laughs> I also I really like like Willow being upset that Don knew before she did because like. They were both presented with the same amount of information at the exact same time. <laughs> Don just has a lot more emotional intelligence than you will. Yeah. yeah. Also, so does like a kumquat. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Willow's distracted. Yeah, I think we already remarked on how much we loved Don's lines in that that very sweet morning scene, and it reminded me of how um, Michelle Trockenberg was a fan of Buffy before she was cast. And I went and I found a quote from an interview she gave um, where she talked about, you know, jumping in, in season five of a complicated show. And she said, what really helped and was very lucky was the fact that I was a huge fan of the show. So she already sort of knew all the characters, knew their dynamics, knew their backstory. And I think in this moment of, of Dawn sort of like fangirling or even shipping 
um, Willow and Tara, it's sort of like she's such a stand-in for the audience who is so delighted by them being back together. And then you get to have a character on screen who is as like delighted as you are. She sort of like is the audience in that moment. And then her delight is like a mirror for us. And I think... I'm one of those um, people who actually always loved Dawn from her very first introduction, which I know some people found her so annoying in the beginning. Um, But I think what I liked about her was that I could see her love of the show showing through sometimes in her performance. So, yeah. It is really nice they gave Michelle more to do this episode than just cry. Yes. Like, Mm. I think that's one of the hard things with Dawn is like, throughout like season six, she cries. (laughs) So... This is a sad episode, but not to Don. Not um. for Don. Don has some really good moments because she has this one, and then which we will probably get to later is when she goes and sort of confronts Spike, which we were all in our yeah. group viewing of it. We were like, "Wow, she just walks right into Spike's lair and like calls him out and is like again, kind of like it, almost another moment where she's sort of speaking what the audience wants to say, which is like, "What are you doing?" Like. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked, I really liked Dawn in this episode. Yeah. I, I, I have a note here, essentially echoing what you're saying there that, uh, that Dawn is us in that moment. And yeah, she's the fangirl for that relationship. I love that. Um, but uh, a note here for, for Dennis, uh, early on, uh, <laughs> Buffy, uh, finds a Vamprella figurine in the nerd lair and gives a very disapproving look. But, uh, I saw that and it was like, Dennis, do you happen to own that particular Vamprella figurine? Uh, actually, I don't. Uh, okay. Thanks for assuming that. But I am a Vamprilla fan. Uh, Buffy being disgusted by that hurts me a little. Um, <laughs> I'm not only a fan, but I, I've written a little bit for Vamprilla, and I have some Vamprilla fan fiction that's been published. Um, so, you know, I don't know where this attack of Vamprilla comes from. It's a charming <laughs> series about a space Dracula lady. <laughs> Well, Who fights SMG, monsters in a bikini. <clears throat> SMG has that no nudity clause that we discovered. So, you know, of course, she's a, she's upset when she sees a vampirella. Plus, it's personal. I mean, she's in the lair of her enemies, so she's not going to like anything she finds here. <laughs> True. Speaking of that lair. Man, that buzzsaw trap was surreal. I just couldn't believe it. Um, you kind of see how they pull it together, and I rewatched that scene a couple of times after we watched it together, just to feel it. Just be, yeah, me too. I'm just interested in how they did this. It's really just one jump that gets pulled off by the stunt, uh, you know, Buffy stunt double. But like, it's a pretty impressive mess that they make out of these huge buzzsaws, which I don't even know where you get buzzsaws of that size. And if you do purchase that, like, I guess they probably had to be stolen. If you purchase that many buzz saws, like something is up. Like those yeah. are for you were raiding a lumber to... mill. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I I I went back and like frame by frame that scene because I was curious about the special effects. Um, and it's clear that in some form or fashion that those saws are actually cutting the wood, at least to some degree, a little bit. In a couple of those shots, there's this the the railing. If you watch the if you I frame by frame through where it cuts the railing, it's definitely cutting that railing. And I think similarly, the whiteboard is actually being cut. Nice. Um, but there's so definitely there's some, somebody there's... off screen with an air vac shooting uh, uh, wood chips everywhere. Yes. <laughs> the wood chips are, are not all genuine, that's for sure. But they, uh, yeah, it's it's a really cool uh, effect that um, I think is a uh, 
a reference to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, mm -hmm. without ever being a line of dialogue to mention the film, which I think is a nice, subtle, it's only visual that uh, only the penitent Buffy shall pass. Really like that. <laughs> Gosh, penitent really Buffy killing. kneels before God. <laughs> they're really killing it with the Jones references because they did that last episode too, right? Because they did the one with um, from Raiders where Jonathan holds up the, whatever, this crystal, this little thing and it, it reveals the location on the map, presumably of the orbs. Oh, right, yeah. You know? I like the, I mean, how much harder is it to create an elaborate buzzsaw trap than just set some explosives, right? <laughs> right. Oh, man. We need to talk about this contrasting with where this episode ends, but it's <laughs> soon. Uh, Maya? Yeah, when um, I think shortly after this, it gets to the credit scene, which I haven't watched a season six episode in multiple years. And so when the credit scene was playing, I was just like... This slaps. This is amazing. <laughs> By season six, every single clip in the credits is a gem. Um, and so I was just like, ah, oh, yes, Buffy credits. And so I just I had a moment of appreciation since I haven't been watching it a lot recently. Nice. And there is something different about this particular credits sequence. Oh, I didn't catch it. Do you want to enlighten uh, us? Michael, did you notice anything? No, of course not. What did, what did I miss? <laughs> Uh, Amber Benson is in the credits as as cast for just this one episode. Um, oh my god! I didn't you know, know that. That makes me sad. Because Joss Whedon is a jerk. <laughs> yes. Does that mean that they bumped her pay grade for one episode? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's like severance pay. I don't know. Yikes. And then I don't remember exactly where it is, but I know s s shortly after the credits, um, we get, you know, there's the p match pair of scenes of first Anya in a bar talking to someone and then later we get Xander in a bar talking to someone. But in Anya's scene, there's a really pretty gross, like fat phobic comment that just is kind of thrown out um, without, you know, any weight really given to it. And I just sort of like it hit me as we were watching it. I was just like, ugh. Yuck. I hate that that's in here. I wish I could say it was like of its time, but I'm sure that comments just as bad are being written and played on TV today in 2020. So, yeah, just a little just one of those moments where, you know, Buffy falls down, unfortunately. I, um, I will say about that scene, like the thing Anya says is she says she oh, he likes them fleshy. And that's like. A deeply gross expression. Very but, gross. Um, flesh is also like uh, a visual theme throughout this episode, um, mm. as you know, was noticed with the shoulders and stuff. But like, it is tying into the, like the thematic grossness of this episode, and it's also weird because it's Anya's only speaking scene this entire episode. Yeah, she gets we. There's one scene of her sort of like walking around the magic box, sadly mm -hmm. dusting, but I don't think she speaks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with regards to the, the fat phobia and the dialogue, I, I, I don't disagree, and I think you're right, to, uh, certainly to point it out, but I think that I'd, maybe another way to look at that would be that when I watched it, I felt like when we hear that line of dialogue, uh, the point of it to me was that we're supposed to be negatively judging this woman that Anya is talking to, and the, and the point of the scene is that how much Anya's station has fallen that she's not she's not now she's now um doing vengeance on behalf of people who aren't even sympathetic like this woman who's uh, actually really horrible yeah uh i felt like that was kind of the point of it but i agree with you that i think it is played for a cheap laugh especially yeah. the fact that like anya kind of like agrees with it and moves on with it 
It kind of furthers the joke. Kind and of then just sort of talks over the woman. And by the end of the scene, the actual joke is that Anya is so wrapped up in her own hurt that she stops even listening to this woman that she presumably right. and the woman says yeah. i wish i wish you know which in the past would have prompted the vengeance but like anya's just like not even listening yeah i, li- I did like the line from the woman where she's like who's anya <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so uh moving on when um Buffy comes to see Xander and there's this moment where like Xander is like kind of half hung over he's still drinking in the morning because he's you know he's been through this horrible breakup um, I just wanted to, uh, take a look at some screenshots that I put, uh, a couple of screenshots I put of his apartment, uh, down there, but how, I want to talk about how Xander specifically, uh, sad drinks and like what, <laughs> what's going on with him. So he's got, uh, in his apartment, he's got, uh, you know, a bottle of Guinness, bottle of Dos Equis. He's drinking a, uh, a Tecate. So he likes, you know, Mexican beer apparently. Um, and a can of also, dry. but yeah, also, uh, peanut butter, yogurt. Looks like uh, ice cream, yeah. Canada Dry, Fiddle Faddle, and Captain Crunch. So like, I feel like like uh, Xander's like depressed Xander's consumption habits are like partly drinking, but partly like ten year old kid. Yeah, <laughs> this is very like um, breakfast snack disaster kind of going on here on the table. There's also what might be like an a uh, open jar of mustard possibly <laughs> i don't know it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not that it's is not mustard a, i don't think it's a good it's not a good combo anyway what's fiddle faddle uh, that was the one brand i couldn't um, i think it, fiddle faddle is like uh peanut brittle isn't it right and then just <laughs> disarray of vhs tapes here that's oh it's delightful. like it's like it's like can it's a caramel corn that's what oh. it is. okay i'll tell you what would have made this scene crazy it would have been if he was eating chicken chicken and biscuit <laughs> <laughs> Because then you have your salty. <laughs> I like chicken and biscuit. I'll get that as a treat occasionally. It's it's almost like oh, good, good work, John. I was looking at this like in 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 depth. Um, oh yes, okay. So my follow up is during the scene when Buffy and Xander are talking. Um, Buffy says, "Xander, my personal life is none of your business." I think like that was like a miswrite because it's really more like romantic. Uh, romantic life because like her their, Buffy's personal life is their friendship you know the personal life is is all encompassing but Xander was mostly angry about Buffy's romantic relationship with Spike so that's why like Buffy's Buffy drops a an anvil an anvil on Xander like if all they have is a no personal uh, life business then it's a professional it's a professional relationship between Xander and Buffy so I I think I don't know I that that seems strange. I it's not so much I think, yeah. And Xander says he comes back with like my you know your personal life used to be my business, which is mm-hmm. to say they're friends, right? And yeah. yeah, their personal lives are each other's business. The line that's crossed by Xander is that yeah, your friend's personal life is your concern, but not for judging, right? Yeah. Which is what Xander did and what Xander has continued to do. Which is since since uh, since the breakup with Anya, uh, he's like immediately, like the arbiter of what who women in his life can sleep with, yeah. right? And I, that's his reaction to the, to the way that uh, his relationship has fallen apart is to become that arbiter. And I think that's the bad look and the horrible thing that he's decided to do, which is, you know, in my book, worse than anything else Xander's maybe done up to this point is to turn all of his relationships into 
deciding, being the decider of who gets to sleep with who. It feels um, a lot like season one Xander being upset about Buffy and Angel. Yeah, um, it does. It does, yeah. Like a regression yeah. to his worst self in this dark time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, man, these demon bugs that the trio go after, uh, they're just living their own lives in their hidden society <laughs> under Sunnydale. They're harming like mag- no one. Harming no one. Their magic shield prevents any anyone from the, but them from coming into their world. They yeah. have these magical orbs that cut that use that give super strength and vulnerability that they've never in six seasons used to wreck, wreak ha- any havoc in Sunnydale. Right. They and haven't touched have kept these assholes things. from doing exactly yeah, this. With they have them, been right? protecting yeah. these yeah. poor bug guys who do not deserve to be skinned alive and worn as suits. <laughs> I just was like, like, obviously, these guys have been here for, like, thousands of years. They never caused no problems to nobody. Do you think that would work on, like, non-magical security systems? Like, if you skinned somebody and wore their skin, would that (laughs) allow you to unlock their iPhone and, like, trick their nest? I mean, (laughs) yes. A thumbprint, for sure. (laughs) Face ID? Yeah. Why not? I'm more interested if it's like one of these alien creatures wearing a human skin and trying to trick people that oh, way. I mean, yeah. that's like a more fun visual joke. Yeah, or just like thousands uh, of insects. Like Edgar from uh, Men in Black. Maybe that should go up in the Rex. Right. Man, a Men in Black is not. It's not in my. It's not in here. Vincent D'Onofrio is a bug creature wearing a human suit. Mike, Mike got the memory eraser. So after the movie. <laughs> Galaxy Defenders. Mm. Yep. Let's uh let's get dark for a second. Let's talk about that scene. Yeah. Um the the big shit in the middle of this episode. Are we there? <laughs> We're there. We're there. Yeah, so Dennis invited me to watch this episode um with um with you and with Michael and with David Yoder, also frequent guest of the show, which was and Travis, which was super fun. I'm really glad I got to join in. I had completely forgotten that this was also the episode with the rape attempt um, because there's this big event at the end of the episode, which is what's referred to in the title, which is what I remembered. Um, so, yeah, in that scene where is, you know, Buffy has had kind of a rough uh, vampire slaying night and she's her back hurts and she's trying to just make a nice bath in the bathroom. And as soon as Spike walks in, like fully dressed into a bathroom and where Buffy is only wearing a robe, I was like, oh, shit. This is this that episode as well. Um, and it was just sort of like my first instinct was just like, I can't believe these two things happen in one episode. Um, they really pack a lot into this one. I feel like the writers didn't pull any punches with this episode. And it's it's very interesting to me that two such huge events are so close together in the timeline of this episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, this was interesting to watch with everybody because so like season six is not a season we rewatch often, like yeah. any of us, you know. So yeah. I did not realize this was that episode when I invited yeah. you on. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> um, I think Travis had completely forgotten about this scene entirely. Uh, yeah. Is that true? Black, blacked it out from my memory. <laughs> oh. And I, I, I feel super weird because this whole season I was like, you know, Spike's, Spike, Spike and Buffy's relationship is I understand it and I'm okay with it during up until, you know, last episode, the episode before that or whatever. And then I'm, I sound like a total hypocrite when I see this and I'm like, 
What? But yeah. I mean, in that sense, I feel like you are with many original viewers of the show, which I know that, I mean, we can talk about this, right. but both Dennis and I both pulled quotes from interviews um, with James Marsters. Um, but like the fans, I believe, of the show as it was originally airing, when Spike and Buffy get together, we're really jazzed about that. And we're like, oh, finally, like finally that sexual tension between Buffy and Spike. And like, this is so exciting and fun. And part of why this um scene is in there is that Joss Whedon was like no Spike is a bad guy like how far do we have to write Spike being terrible before the audience realizes that he is not a good guy to be with um right so I feel like I mean and there's such fan love of the character of Spike um I definitely know that he was one of my favorites in my first watch through of the show and I think a lot of people even who've seen through season six like kind of almost do forget about this scene or rewrite over the scene in their memories and still have Spike as a favorite character through not going to say anything, but through the, you know, yeah, past this. I think this is one of the things, one of the things our podcast gets a lot of flack for is being anti-Spike. Interesting. Right. And one of the things like John and I have always in private been like, well, we know we're right. Like, because yeah. <laughs> it's going to come to this and we know, right. yeah. like, I mean, yeah, exactly. And this is, this is what, like in the, to the extent that we do have a conversation with the people who watch the show and the, especially those who complain about us being too anti-spike, this is what we're not talking about when we're talking about that. Um, but I, I just want to say that, like, uh, I read like you guys did because I'm like I have to do an episode I have to do a podcast about this episode and you know you google it it's like what have other people said so I have some sense of what am I supposed to how do I even enter this conversation yeah Yeah. um and I I will say that one of the things that like yeah Joss Whedon has you know well you know Spike's bad Spike's terrible and and I I want to say that I am uh in defense of the people who are team Spike right I do not accept the audience blaming that Joss Whedon is doing when people are mm. people watch watch Buffy and are enjoying Spike for being so charismatic and so wonderful. Like we, are, it's because they have been invited to do so, and tones have been set in a certain yeah. way, and then that tone is violated. Like that's not the audience's fault. No. Um, so like it's like if I'm watching, you know, like this is a maybe a horrible metaphor. I don't know if I'm watching, uh, you know, Wiley e. Coyote. Right. And like suddenly Wiley e. Coyote actually catches the roadrunner and like there's a bloody scene where he eats him. That's not my fault for being shocked. Right. Yes, that's the character. But also you've set a tone and you've set expectations for what is and is not in bounds. Right. Well, you yeah. should have paid attention that it wasn't a Chuck Jones directed episode. That it, in, <laughs> that it was, in fact, a Warner Herzog episode. And yeah. He's trying to Run talk about the brutality one. of nature. Yeah. When I stare into that coyote's eyes, I see nothing but hate. <laughs> right. Uh, I just, I just, I feel like in defense of the of the people yeah. on the team Spike, I feel like they have been invited to be so. Oh right. no, yeah. He's written as funny and charming and just like you know a bad boy. And also, I think one of the sides that again is shows like how he's been made good in the show is his relationship with Don. He calls her Niblet in that scene yeah. where she comes and visits him, which is like the most adorable nickname ever. And just the fact that she feels safe and comfortable going to his house and confronting him. This is before the sexual assault scene, but like she goes to his place and tries to call him on his bullshit. And he kind of is just like 
I mean, he he disagrees with her, but he he's you know he's not violent or threatening in any way. He's just kind of right. like let's tough shit, kitten. Kind of just very like what you know like what deal with it. Um, and that is kind of like the Spike we've come to know is like yeah the Spike who like insisted Don wear a helmet and like behind him on the motorcycle and like the you know all of these things. So I really like that point that you made, John. Um, Dennis, do you want to read any of this quote that you pulled from this AV um, um, interview? Or it's, it's very long. Yeah, I wasn't going to read the whole quote, but I was going to save it for themes. But yeah. um, okay, maybe the, we'll, I, we'll yeah. <laughs> I will say there there are two things that this scene that this scene does that make it so much harder to watch, um, and they're like like storytelling techniques. One is they use the commercial break. They cut away from the tension, and then they go right back to it. Yeah. Which watching this on television makes it so much worse that you think you get you think it's over and you come right back to it. Um, yeah. These are that's a that is something to do to, to deliberately manipulate the audience, right? Um, and the other is so this is the same episode where Buffy punches a guy so hard that they break a stone archway. So like she's at her strongest ever demonstrated, but in this scene. Um, cause she's injured by the vampire before, like there's no demonstrable, like super strength throughout it. Right. She gets yeah. her back banged against a tub and it like, looks like it really hurts. And yeah. like, that's something I, I like the idea that like Buffy is, um, a supernatural, super powered character who's like free from these, th- from these like normal threats is like totally taken away from us in this scene. Like, the bathroom is not destroyed. It doesn't look like, you know, when uh, Morpheus and uh, Agent Smith are fighting (laughs) in a bathroom in the Matrix. Like, that would have been a much more satisfying and safer feeling scene. But instead, like, you know, the appliances are stronger than the characters, which is, like, really I I love the maturity of this scene versus, like, a Spider-Man, right? Because, like, Spider-Man's always got something going on. He's got a cold, broke his arm. Some reason why he's not at full strength. And like, yeah, Buffy got injured and then she has to fend off, you know, a rape, you know, basically a sexual assault from her, maybe her ex-boyfriend, if they even use that term. But it's like, that's just, I like that maturity of that kind of choice in a show and how, how crazy that feels. I mean, it's definitely an intense scene to watch. And I, it's so needed in this show just to say no to Spike in a defiant, obvious way for a guy that is incapable of understanding the word no. And like this is where this leads. This guy that endlessly stalks you, uh, it has to end with uh, him being obviously repelled. And it's just it's frustrating and fortunate. But like this show needed that needed a scene like this to blow it up. You would think that the Anya and um, Spike hookup would be enough. But like, man, this this Spike character. <laughs> yeah. He's even his dialogue before he even starts getting physical is very telling as well. Where he for, he comes out and he's like he tries to like guilt trip Buffy. He tries like he, he tries like three different angles to like get at her when he and it's just like it's so manipulative and it's so gross and it's paranoid and you can just tell that he's just in a really terrible state of mind um, and not listening to anything she's saying and it's just. It's very believable. I will say that, like, James Marsters and Sarah Michelle Gellar both did an amazing acting job in this scene. Um, And I believed every moment of both of their performances. And it also seemed completely in character, like, 
for this. So, like, I guess well done, them portraying something very, very terrible, very well, if that's the right word to use. Uh, let's do a 180 and start talking about some uh, Klingon stuff. Yeah, Act 3. Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, this is definitely a more comfortable thing for me to talk about. Let's talk about Klingon love poetry. Um, <laughs> so uh, so it's mentioned that uh, the, uh, the, you know, the nerds have this, like, demonic-looking uh, manuscript, and uh, Xander says, uh, nope, no, it's not a demon language. It's Klingon, and that's love poetry. <laughs> Uh, because all nerds, as we know, can read Klingon. Um, so I, of course, being the human nut I am, I screenshotted it. Uh, and I spent, I, first of all, of course, I Googled to see if anybody else had translated this. No one has translated or attempted to translate, as far as I can tell on the internet, has translated this Klingon love poem. Um, this is a Buffy Virgin exclusive brought well, to you by John Landis. Hold on for a second, because it's not yet. Uh, so me and my wife spent... Uh, our entire Saturday morning together trying to translate this poem. Um, oh, that's it's, so adorable. Yeah, it was. And, you know, uh, a couple of things we figured out. First of all, like, I am, and this might be an a leap of faith, but I am fairly sure this actually is a poem and that it actually makes some sense in Klingon um, because uh, some of the words are definitely real Klingon words. And some of and like there's an attempt to like what I think is really neat is that the words start with the same phonetic sounds in a given stanza so they don't rhyme but they alliterate which is like old English poetry right like Beowulf right which I think is super cool and a super like that is definitely there in that thing so whoever did this clearly has taken some care and love unfortunately their Klingon handwriting is difficult to decipher (laughs) And also, I do not know Klingon. So um, I have the Klingon dictionary on order. So this, this, I have a temporary translation that's in progress for you guys. And I'm going to continue to work on this puzzle um, because it's really fun to work through. It's really frustrating, but it's really fun. So this is the current translation I have, which is probably a million miles off. I'm going to read it, read it into the record here. The poem goes something like this. Enter. To be wet. To be flexible. Finally. Paradise. Holiday paradise. Is complete. Consume 10,000. And then that's where the paper kind of gets off the shot. You can't see where it goes from there. <laughs> um, and the bit about Beautiful. paradise, holiday, paradise is a little bit of a, it's a tricky translation because the word holiday there is actually a specific Klingon holiday that we don't have. It's um, it, the literal translation is military holiday and it's like Klingon army day, um, which they celebrate every 10 months. Oh, Every probably, ten months, you could uh, just trans- you could uh, translate it as uh, Independence Day, maybe, or Memorial yeah, Day, something like that. Yeah, that could that could work. Also, John, do you have a newfound respect for uh, Wesley's translations of uh, what Shanshu means? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, it's so hard because, like, I mean, obviously, like, just trying to understand, like, because you're dealing with this weird character set. And like just trying to figure out what letter is what letter is re- that's the hardest part, because like it's sort of sloppy. Uh, and then yeah, of course, having a dictionary is not enough to translate. You need to understand grammar and syntax and everything. And uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not there yet, but uh, I'm going to continue to work on this problem. So uh, 
to be continued. Stay tuned. I, re- I recently gave away my Klingon dictionary, which sat unused. You had it? Yeah. I, sorry, man. I could have mailed it to you. It's it sat unused in like uh you know my storage for like ten years. And I finally collected all my Star Trek stuff, and I gave it to a friend of mine who's a big Star Trek fan. I was like. I mean, not all of it. I still have a Picard holiday ornament up over there. But. <laughs> well, I am impressed by how much effort you've put into this already. So good job, and I look forward to hearing updates about this in future episodes. Um, so Maya, why don't you talk about Andrew? I love Andrew. Have you guys <laughs> talked about Andrew very much on this show already? I mean, um, some, um, some. we hope to eventually have Tom Link on because we are friends with somebody who's friends with him, but oh, we're nice. waiting on her to just send him an email. Okay. And, um, you know. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'd love to hear that. Um, I adore Andrew. I think he is so funny. I love that by this episode, his gay remarks are coming fast and furious. His queerness seems to be almost just a given at this point, even though he perhaps doesn't realize it and people around him like Jonathan just doesn't really respond to anything that he says but I just love it I love the fruity little drink that he has in the bar scene near the end of the episode I love his tucked in button-up shirt I just think he is so funny and I don't I don't quite remember in my first watch of this if I knew that the actor Tom Link was actually gay when I started watching it or if I found out slightly later um, I looked into this. Um, stop me if you've already talked about this on the show, but um, Tom Lank officially came out in the year 2008. Uh, I started watching Buffy, Buffy in 2007, so um, I, I might have, maybe by the time I met him in season six, he had already come out. Um, and he came out um, in an interview with Advocate Magazine, um, and he timed it. It was supposed to be, this interview was supposed to drop right around the time of his first on-air gay kiss, which was going to be in a uh, Fox TV show called Do Not Disturb, where he played the longtime boyfriend of, I think, the main character. But Fox uh, pulled the show, like, before the, like, the episode ever aired. And so it was like, he called the Advocate magazine and he had to, and he found out about this, like, the day before the interview, or at least so it said in the, ep- in the, uh, in the, interview and so he like calls him he's like yeah this is a real sort of charlie brown moment i thought i had this big thing to show you and it got yanked (laughs) away um but i mean he was already out in his personal life at that point and i think that um maybe even when this was filming because there's also a quote from joss whedon that when um when tom link sent in his his tape read for andrew joss whedon was like wow this is a very gay read of this character which is not what i was imagining but it's very funny. Maybe we should just go with it. And they kind of wrote that um, aspect of Andrew into it because of Tom Lank, the actor. Um, so anyway, basically, I just adore him. And I think he's so funny in this episode. And like, he has just so many great little moments. Like when he he is the one who's the bait when they're uh, when they murder one of those innocent bug men at the beginning. And he goes, I hate being the bait. And um, and then he's so funny in the bar. And then, of course, at the end, when he, too, has the jetpack, but <laughs> turns it on when he's under a roof and bashes into it and falls to the ground. So it gets apprehended with Jonathan. It's just I, uh, it slays me. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had forgotten about the hitting the roof thing when I was re- rewatching this. I, I lost my shit when I was again. <laughs> this episode. Like, I feel like it's so weird because it's like it it is. 
so painful, but the funny parts are still so funny. There's yeah. still such great comedy writing going on. And it just, it feels like, I feel very uneven, even in this discussion, like going back and forth between yes. all the painful stuff and then yeah. all this comedy gold, like, yeah, yeah, it makes for an uneven like podcast experience for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, welcome to this episode, listeners. I'm sure you know. I mean, you, that's how that's how this episode is. And there's like other little gems. Like there's the moment where Clem, um, Spike's friend, like comes in and chats with him. Like it's another like beautiful little funny sweet character moment. It's just there's yeah there's all kinds of different, all kinds of different stuff in here. Um, and then one other small fact about Andrew, the character in the Buffy universe, um, I was because I was just Googling about this last night. Um, Andrew, as a character, actually comes out in Buffy, the comic series. Um, oh. I don't want to say too much about that because of spoiler reasons. Maybe I've already said too much. Anyway, but the character does officially come out later. Good for the character. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Jonathan has two little acts of possible redemption this episode. We've already mentioned one, the orbs giving Buffy the clue. But he, I mean, he basically saves Xander's life in the uh, bronze. Um, mm. I don't know if we're going to count the bronze being damaged or not. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're very minor. I mean, he's doing them within, like, hiding, hiding his little rebellions from Warren, which is wise because Warren's on, like, a kill spree. Um but, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen Jonathan be the good guy we know he is. And these things are, like, pretty little, but they're there. Uh, speaking of that bronze scene, I mean, I don't have it marked up here, but that... What is what is Warren's plan to get girls? Is it just to, like, demand that they become his wife or girlfriend? <laughs> like, even with these orbs, his game is so intense and so off-feeling. I mean, he's basically a, just a full, complete bully, right? Like, he's going to bully people into dating him um everyone's nodding so i guess that's his plan anyway it's just it feels like warren's always been wrong about how yeah. to approach women and it, all these magical approaches that he's come up with to like uh make up for having a personality or like paying attention to someone like he's so far far fully objectified women he can't he can't even understand what they're saying <laughs> anyway it's a painful scene um watching that kind of play out you know, even though, like, you feel a little bit of empathy of Warren for a second when uh, it's revealed that the girl he's hitting on, that, like, he was bullied by her boyfriend. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that she gets to become your girlfriend. So, like, no. just the... But it is it does feel manipulative to, the, like, for the viewer a little bit. Like, oh, Warren's, um, I guess, like, rage <laughs> yeah. comes, from a, comes from a real place of being bullied. But Yeah, and it definitely feels like if this was... They would be using different terms now. Like they would, Warren would be calling women like feminoids, <laughs> and he would he would be using like incel language. You know, mm. uh, totally. Yeah, I mean, Warren's the worst. Uh, yeah, Jonathan nails it when he calls him Charles Atlas, right? Like that's yeah. that, that. Like, and I love that that happens before you see the Charles Atlas story play out. Like it's telegraphed ahead of time for for those of us who know the Charles Atlas ad and like know that story like we get to see it after that's that's telegraphed i think it's a great bit of writing um but yeah i mean we've said it before the uh the inherent sort of maybe not inherent but the uh strong vein of uh of of misogyny and grossness that is in geek culture is kind of baked into that geeks versus jocks mentality 
that I think this ep- that that this season of Buffy is ahead of the curve in identifying that and mm. and and then being able to talk about it is is one of the nice things about it about season yeah. six. Um. Yeah, and I don't even the revelation that Warren was bullied by that guy in the bar didn't really give me sympathy for him. Per- because there's like a lot of characters who have been bullied who didn't become this awful um but it was also just sort of a small town moment like running into someone you went to high school with in a (laughs) bar like i still live in the town that i went to high school in for example and i can tell you every time i go into town i'm sort of like I may run into someone that I went to school with, one of their parents, one of my former teachers, and then I've also taught at an elementary school here, so, or one of my students. So it's just that feeling of like, yeah, at the one local hangout, you will likely run into people that you went to school with. Yeah. Uh, so we've already mentioned the Rocket Pets packs, but I mean, Rocket Packs. Um, hey. <laughs> they're using them. It's nice that they're actually like... Uh, during the uh, Warren fight scene, you could see his back all puffy because, mm. like, it's nice that they actually visually like gave us a clue there was something back there because um, they didn't have to, you know. Yeah. Uh, but hey, I don't know. That was definitely on their board right from the very beginning. That's right. Like- it was. It was on the whiteboard. <laughs> and the whiteboard, the whole like thing of the whiteboard plays out in this episode. You get the too late on the whiteboard. It's like yeah, a nice moment. Every loose thread tied up. Uh, Okay, you got the next one, Maya. So when Spike heads out of town, um, he throws a lit cigarette on the ground. And I, a person who have lived through now three devastating California wildfire seasons, was like, oh, God. Don't do that. <laughs> it hasn't rained in years. Um, and I was just sort of like, oh, God. I, I see it. In re- I mean, I, there have been times where I've seen people throw lit cigarettes out of car windows when I was just driving. And me, and I'm, every time I'm like, in California? <laughs> do not do that. Um, so it just, uh, I don't know. It's a tiny thing. But I just had a friend who was evacuated stay at my house for nine days. So that kind of was like, ugh. Um, it's a small He's a bad boy. He's, he is bad. And if he, if that cigarette had burned down all of uh, Sunny Sunnyvale, uh... yep. But that's not where the episode ends. But that's not it, where the episode ends. It has this whole extra scene that <laughs> happens. Poof. Yeah. So yeah. I guess I want to see the scene before the last scene where Warren like works up himself into a uh, rage to then just show up on Buffy's uh, lawn with a gun and just start firing and to, you know, trying to shoot and kill Buffy. And then we get Tara gets randomly shot and dies, presumably dies in the summer's house, which is super sad. Uh, but it's happened so quickly. It's the crazy thing too. And it's like, we're feeling we're winding up to the end of the episode. There's like just a little pinch of show left. And then it just like, and then it just does this big pinch uh, and just, and I, I mean, I guess I, you know, I anticipated something like this was going to happen based on the setup that I was feeling, which was where anyone wants to watch a show with me, if it's Buffy, I know something <laughs> messed up is going to happen. And the show has had a few surprises in it. Uh, and character death is one of, is the, one of the biggest surprises it can pull. And of course, 
yeah, Willow and Terra are happy. No, they're not. Um, so I've got all my predictions that are based on this last moment in this episode, which totally overwhelms everything else that's going yeah. on in the episode. It's interesting because as we were, you know, we got on the call to watch this, you literally said, so Tara's going to die in this episode, right? And like all of us were like, didn't respond. And you were like, uh, and then I think it was me. It was like, so what platform are we watching this on? Is we watching it on Hulu? You know, like just trying to be like, let's just move on from that comment from Michael before. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was interesting. So I'm, I guess your prediction of that. But right before the episode started was just based on how happy Willow and Tara were. Or well, that well that they're happy, but also like the show it needs there's we're running out of episodes to take mm-hmm. something away from us to get to some kind of collusion here. And like she's um they're not gonna take Dawn away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, they threatened to do that several times this season. Um Tara's I don't wanna say she's an easy target, that's not fair. She's like the thing that we care most about uh, reconciling with for Willow's character. And also, you turned Willow's magic off for the whole season, and we know she's so powerful and how much we want to see her use that magic. And Tara's the only thing keeping her from using it, besides Giles, who's also gone. So with Giles gone, Tara's the adult in the room. So like mm. killing the one adult is now like, they can we can have the fun insane fiendish murder of Warren now because and with full magic on which is I think what we want we want uh but I, I it's still a bummer that that's the ingredient that's used like I like Tara as a character I like the Tara Willow relationship I like the stability that brings to the Summer's yeah. household so I'm, yeah. I'm not happy with this but I'm also like what, you called what, it. what do they have what units yeah. what things do they have to use like what chess pieces yeah you definitely um you saying all of that is like, yeah, you figured out, you figured out how the show works. Um, <laughs> obviously, I mean, like that is, it is, that is, it is kind of like the, I guess, quote unquote, logical move of this show at this point. And you're absolutely right about everything you said. Like, yeah, Willow and Tara. I think one of us even said like, oh, it's like mom and dad getting together again. When, you know, about this earlier scenes when Dawn was so excited about them being together. And yeah, having like a loving, happy, committed couple in the Summer's house is just like breathes the sense of like warmth and love and support and comfort and stability for all of the rest of the characters. Um, and of course we're not allowed to have that. And also this, this, you know, this violent gun attack scene is preceded by like this really sweet Xander Willow reconciliation forgiveness scene, um, which I, yeah, Xander I love. And Buffy. Yeah, sorry. Totally. Uh, sorry. The wrong character names, but yeah, Xander and Buffy. It's like such a, such a really sweet scene. Um, like they, they just have some really nice lines. One of the ones that I grabbed at the beginning and, you know, Xander, I think he says like, how did we get here? And Buffy says, you know, scenic route, long drive. And and then they have this hug and it's like cutting directly from that to like a gun attack is just such a like whiplash of emotion. It's such a cold way of killing someone too. Like, yeah, you know, Warren doesn't even intend to kill Tara. Yeah, I mean that's it, the part it's that's the remarkably unmagical. The you know the two big events in this episode mm-hmm. are like you know non supernatural, um, and the yeah we've talked before about how like gun violence is so rare on the show, and when they play it, they play it for keeps. Yeah, I mean I just now I think they need to move out of that house though. I feel like it'd be hard to hard to live in the summer's house after that, but. Mm. 
I'm going to put that in a prediction. <laughs> Wasn't, uh, wasn't Buffy, wasn't uh, Joyce's mom, Pat, murdered? Was she murdered at the Summer's house? Was she? Uh, yeah, oh. she was either killed in, depending on whether you count her as a zombie or yes. as a human, she was killed in, I believe, Joyce's room and in the backyard. Um, the Joyce's um, gal Friend? pal, Pat, yeah. about whom much fan fiction was written. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. She died there, too. Um, oh, never mind. Death doesn't turn them off to living at the Summer's house. There's nothing... Finding Mom's body there doesn't do it. Yeah, wow. Because uh, we're going to lo- lose... Uh, we're going to lose Travis in a second. Do you guys want to move on to questions for the group and focus on Travis's question first? Mm, yes. Sure. Questions for the group. Sure. Well, I was just thinking about how Dawn was processing uh, the adult relationships around her, uh, what, realizing that uh, Buffy and Spike were in a relationship and realizing that Spike had slept with Anya and how Anya's relationship with Xander was affected. She seemed very mature about it. I'm not sure I would really understand the consequences of, of that. I think what, if I was her age, I would, I would assume the best in people and that that. Uh, some cliched uh, romantic things that that they could things could be worked out. I, I I mean she doesn't assume. I mean she seems much more mature. Um, I, I'm not sure she doesn't make a lot of assumptions, but it's just interesting. I th- I think I, if I was her, I would I would naively assume that things could be worked out more mm. after such a cataclysmic event. So I was like, very surprised. Yeah, impressed, like between really. Like the things could work out between um, Spike and Buffy, or between like Anya and Xander. Anya, Xander, and Spike and Buffy. Yeah, both all. So, I th- if I was younger, I would just assume that things could be worked out. Mm. I yeah. do think that she kind of like the reason she goes and visits Spike to talk to him is almost because she still has this hope in in a in a reconciliation or a, a working out. Um, I don't know. Yeah, this is a very mature episode for Dawn, which is probably pro- part of why we all like her so much. She isn't crying. She isn't whining. She's instead really... She's cool. She's really she's handling what's going on. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if this would... This certainly doesn't mirror any of my relationships with 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 adults when I was a kid. Uh, but if you could like... Yeah, So so I was just quite impressed. Yeah, uh, that she's not in total denial, like probably I would have been if I was uh, when I was her age or uh, hopelessly or, or surprisingly optimistic. Yeah, it's just I, I, I wasn't quite sure how to process that, but very impressed. <laughs> yeah, I think even as an adult, I don't know how to handle when friends break up, <laughs> especially if I'm friends with both of the people in the couple that breaks up. It's like I don't clearly I don't know. I had no idea what was going on, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we talked about that a bunch on this, this podcast. Yeah, I, how to how adults break up and how how hard that is to figure out as adults. Because, you know, we're all involved in the celebratory side of relationships. Um, there's no one to... You don't, 
there's no ceremony to invite people to for the end of relationships. Mm. So it just happens quietly, uh, usually quietly. Maybe there should be. Yeah, maybe there should be. There's that uh, D Space Nine where there's a there's a Bajoran uh, ending the relationship ritual. Oh yeah, uh, it seems really it seems really healthy. They do it on Ryza. It's really nice. Seems to involve a lot of banging. It does. It does. But just the fact that they have a ritual seems nice. I yeah. like that. Those Bajorans, they got stuff going on. They got they got some stuff figured out. Well, it's capitalism, so you got to build it around buying a product or have it, you know, some kind of uh, decorative thing. Maybe something like a horgon, like a Rising horgon. <laughs> I have no idea what that is, but I love that. Yes, that please love too. Yes, the ritual watching of the Star Trek episodes. (laughs) I mean, that is how I handle breakups, definitely, with the ritual watching of the Star Trek episodes. And funerals, and illness, and anything, really. Yeah, like a wake. There needs to be a wake for a relationship Mm. where everybody can get together and uh, without fear of judgment or how, before sides are chosen. It's like, okay, we know that things have to go different ways now. But before sides are chosen, let's uh, let's talk about the relationship that was, what we liked about it, and also all the signs we missed that this was yeah. falling apart. <laughs> uh, and then you like clue, detective, reverse detective, figure out what went wrong when, um, and complete the story. I guess Ooh. of this relationship. I I just want John's uh, Star Trek breakup playlist. Yeah, yeah, wreck watch list. Okay, so what you do? Uh, yeah, Star definitely. I, I can. I can definitely give you okay. So if you're gonna, if you're having a major breakup, the the Star Trek episodes you want to watch are uh, season one, episode one, Encounter at Farpoint, uh, <laughs> season seven, episode uh, uh, twenty four, whatever. Um, uh, uh, all good things. All good episodes, things. And then yeah. every episode in between. Uh, that's how you do a breakup. <laughs> this is TNG, not not uh, Deep Space Nine that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean TNG. That, see, is- the thing is, I when I was a child. Um, uh, I um, coming. I uh, was coming. It's my dad's birthday. I was coming home, and we were uh, gonna uh, deliver to my dad like a big birthday present. It was a uh, backboard, uh, so he could shoot hoops in the backyard. And pulling it out of the car, I slammed my thumb in the car door, and uh, smashed my thumb, broke my thumb, and lo- ended up losing the thumbnail. Uh, and I was it was just throbbing with pain that night. It was so horrible. And my dad stayed up with me watching old Star Trek tapes that we had taped off of, off air. And from that moment on, I realized that the best possible analgesic for physical pain, but as it's turned out, especially emotional pain later in life, uh, is Star Trek The Next Generation. It's the very best thing for pain. Uh, and I still use it to this day. Uh, I mean, it's also good when there's no pain. I mean, <laughs> that works too. <laughs> When when the, that's when y'all, the sweetest story I've ever heard. I love that so much. When y'all finish this Buffy podcast, will you maybe make a Star Trek podcast? <laughs> I mean, I think I'm up for it, but uh, <laughs> I don't know about these nerds. Well, maybe we'll. Yeah, I was going to suggest something else for where do we go from here, but that's um, a new segment we're doing. Maya is like, what do we do? What do, oh. Where do we go from here? What's our next podcast? Oh, or? I didn't know. What, I didn't know about that segment. I'm anticipated. I know. I'm. I am like one of the listeners who is like, "What? Please <laughs> make plans." Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> uh, John, why don't you ask your question for the group? Okay. So uh, in the, the scene in this episode where uh, Spike is uh, 
pouring vodka into his pint glass of blood uh, just makes it makes things a little better uh, in life. Um, that's his analgesic for emotional pain. Um, but I'm curious, if you were a vampire, what would be your blood cocktail? I mean, I like the vodka thing because then it's it's pretty close to like a Bloody Mary. Um, right. So I, I love fresh hop beer. Do you guys know about fresh hops, right? Fresh so, hop yeah. beer. I thought you said fresh hot beer. It it's like, a nice hot cold beer. It was like, you Portland motherfuckers, you've gone too far. Fresh hot. Fresh hop. So hops, right? And hops are like a bittering agent, but they like add this some flavorfulness to a beer. And one thing that I've seen is like you strain a beer through hops, like you literally pour a beer through hops and that yeah. by filtering it People through. Use like, a, like a French press, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So good. So weird and tasty to do when you can get some centennial hops, whatever, some mosaic hops. It's really nice. So because blood tastes like pennies, uh, there's a little penny like <laughs> penny vibe. Uh, what about just straining blood through some pennies to get a little fresh, uh, fresh blood taste, right? Whoa. Like, to like uh, enrich it a little bit. So, so. Uh, fun fact about um, the penny smell, right? And why it's like pennies, why blood tastes like pennies. Uh, it turns out that... Uh, it's actually reacting with the oils in your skin. That neither one has that smell. It's uh, it's reacting with the oils in your skin, and that's what like it's it's the metal the, like the metals in your blood or the metals in the in the in the pennies that's reacting to the oils in your skin, and that's why it smells. That's why pennies don't smell smell like that until you handle them, and blood doesn't smell like that until it touches your skin. Hmm. So I've read on the internet because I was once I was trying to make. Uh, um, for a, a screening of a vampire film. For a screening <laughs> of a... <laughs> you don't tell us that you cut yourself with a penny accidentally, I'm going to just... For the, for, for, no, for the, for the screening of a, of a vampire film, I, I wanted to make a blood-scented lip gloss. I wanted to see if that was possible. But it turns out that that chemical... Uh, you can get that chemical that comes from the uh, collision of blood oils and pennies. You can get it. You can buy it. It's ex- you can, it's ex- you can be extracted from mushrooms is how you get it in commercial quantities. Um, but it's not a thing you can just buy in the corner store like plutonium. Um, it's, uh, it's it's hard to get hold of. Um, so you're saying I wouldn't be able to strain blood through just a. Uh, I'm like saying a if you put if you could, yeah if you just if you just had blood and pennies together it wouldn't. I don't know if that would complement each other. You I'm need just skin trying oil. to heighten the blood taste. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I like the thought. I like okay, the thought. Then I just get adds, fresh adds, blood then. Yeah. I'll tell you, if you let blood sit, it'll also smell like hell. <laughs> So that, 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 that odor just kind of matures the longer you've got it sitting there. Yeah. I would make, uh, I'm going to bring this back to the question. Uh, <laughs> I would make like a blood sangria. Hmm. Some nice fruit, a little red wine. Call it Santa Sangria. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I'm not a drinker, but that's probably, I would probably go fruity if I was going to do anything. I was, I was thinking like, I don't know, maybe like some pomegranate seeds or pomegranate juice. Yeah. Or something, something in that direction. I, I was kind of thinking a dirty martini since it's going to like blood's going to be salty. Right. Ooh. So like in place of, yeah, in place of uh, olive brine in a dirty martini, that might be kind of good. That'd be weird to be seeing like olives floating in blood. <laughs> mm. Could peel some grapes and throw it in there. I would definitely add gin. Well, that's because I'm a I'm a gin, gin. I like gin, but um, if I was going to go non-alcoholic, which I often do, I, I rarely ever drink. I would um, have a um, ice cream sundae with uh, the blood as the hot fudge topping. <laughs> Rich. 
<laughs> all right. Great question. I did once accidentally spray blood all across some vanilla ice cream, and it looked exactly like strawberry <laughs> syrup. <laughs> I cut myself a... with a spoon. <laughs> I was trying to open that plastic thing, and I was trying to use a spoon to do it. Why did you use a spoon? I'm because a dummy. Because it hurts more. Because <laughs> it's, it's dull, you twit. <laughs> mm. I have not seen that movie in a long time. Uh, it should be in a rewatch. Um, uh, so I have a question about this episode. What is the line between like just an exciting drama and actively punishing the viewer for watching something. Um, and did this episode cross that line? Uh, like, that's a genuine question. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess like the traditional argument for like, why is drama have unpleasant things in it is catharsis, right? Um, yeah. And I mean, and, I do believe storytelling needs drama, needs sad things to happen. Right. I'm not like one of those guys who's like, I just want Captain America to be in love with Peggy Carter and never like have anything bad, but like, <laughs> yeah. And I think we're, we're on the same side of that, but yeah, I, I think this, this particular episode feels like it is punishing the audience. And, and, um, like I said, you know, doing my Googling and trying to like figure out how to enter the conversation on this episode, which apparently is old and it's been going on for a long time. Uh, one of the things I came across people sort of framing this episode as a moment in which television writers realized they had an online audience to contend with because the mm -hmm. online audience had such a strong reaction to this episode and there were, you know, sort of threats of boycotts and things like that from the fans, uh, because, uh, both for the bathroom scene and for, uh, for killing Tara, that there were people who were just like, I'm out. Um, obviously the show well, went on, but. I mean, I don't feel tortured by this episode. So, I mean, I'm, I like shows where things happen, you know, yeah. I know yeah. that there's like, there's something that you guys love about this show. Maybe it's mostly Travis who just dropped the call. So uh, he can't be here to talk about this, but like there's something comforting about season two, season three, Buffy, some episodes where it's just like this, there's the Scoobies, there's a, there's a supernatural investigation. And then can we just have that on repeat please forever? I mean, this, in this particular form of torture where I watch every episode and then have to record my thoughts about it. Um, <laughs> This episode's interesting, and so therefore good. <laughs> Versus right. like an episode like episode ten that you know we're getting reactions to, which is like where Tara, not Tara, but Willow, you know, gets into magic that would get her high with Rack, right? And like that episode's weird and goofy, and it's full of nineties nostalgia for drug movies. But like, it's fun, but it's not. It's not meaningful. It's not. It doesn't push this stuff forward. So that feels more like torture to me. <laughs> uh than this episode does so like for exciting drama and actively punishing the viewer i think filler episodes punish the viewer mm. though i get it there's like something that we love about filler episodes as well which is like there's the nostalgia oh, it depends for on the filler right yeah there's a the nostalgia for a type of episode that only exists in long-form television where there is a throwaway episode of a show where they have fun with the characters and experiment with the characters and do interesting things well there's also the filler episode which is more common which does does no service to the characters and harms uh, harms your feelings for a character by making them do dumb things or stay or do things that are outside of the the scripts that we want those characters to live within and breaks head canon we hate those episodes so it's like fillers good and bad 
I don't feel punished by this episode yet. Maybe I will when I miss Tara, you know, and the way that Tara is handled in future episodes um, or thoughts about her. But like, I feel more punished by other shows than this one. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I, Lost I also, I also feel, through, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's punishment. I, I also, I just feel so directly manipulated by this episode because also yeah. like, this is the happiest we've ever seen Willow and Tara. Like, you know, and they only do that to us right before they killed the character, right? And that's like just such direct emotional manipulation. Yeah. Um, that frustrates me. And I guess I was also, I've also been thinking about, um, it's something I've seen recently come up in conversation with like, about certain writers seem to actively dislike their audience, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's true of this show, but like, um, uh, I've heard it discussed about certain cartoonists where it's like, like they seem to, be writing to attack their own audience. Right. And, um, uh, so that's why I was bringing that up, I guess. Um, yeah, I, well, there's, there's a, there's a disposition also of the writers towards the characters, which I think is really interesting here of like, I feel like on one extreme end of the spectrum, you have like parks and recreation where the writers and the audience have this like love of the characters and everything is about how much we love them. We want to take care of them. We want, and we want them to do well. Like you, uh, you watch the show with, and you treat the characters as cherished friends. Right. And then like, you know, on another end of the spectrum is like, I don't know, breaking bad or something where, you know, you're watching it for like, like kind of Michael, like you're saying for the events of this story and you are caught up with the characters, but you don't necessarily I don't know. You don't want them to do well or want them to do poorly as much as you're sort of like caught up in the story, which I think is a different, it's just like a different mode of engagement. And I think that, um, specifically in this time and place of like what this was like 2002 people watching the show connecting for, you know, for a lot of us for the first time with other fans online of, over these characters, right. Uh, some representational boundaries being pushed. Uh, I think that, there was a desire for these characters just to do well because they're your friends. Like you just like them as people, which is not a recipe for good drama, right? It's a, right. it's a recipe for poor drama for for everybody, everybody to do well. So they have to break it. They have to violate that, 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 that desire of the audience. Um, but this episode is definitely like going, running in the opposite direction as hard as you can of like treating the characters and wanting to see them do well. Like it's, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, despite the challenging themes of this episode, I'm really glad to have rewatched it with all of you and to be talking about it with all of you. And I'm kind of with Michael and that I will take an episode like this over a filler episode pretty much any day. And like a reason why I watch more, um, British television shows than American ones is frankly because the seasons are shorter and so Mm -hmm. they don't have time for filler. I... I, you know, I got really into like, for example, BBC Sherlock back in the day that famously had only three episodes per season. And I loved that. I thought that was like the right amount. Um, I have, in fact, only finished a couple of American TV shows. Buffy is, I think, the longest TV show I have watched every episode of. Frankly, I'm not much of a TV viewer. Um, And so I... um. I I do even, you know, I do like this episode, even though it's hard. Um, and I it's interesting when I think back to my initial watch of season six, I remember being more mad about um, the 
the Xander leaving Anya at the altar as a story choice than about the events of this episode as a story choice. Hmm. All right, guys. Um, so we're already we've been living in themes and deep stuff this whole, th- whole time. Yeah, this is but, not a uh, this is not a uh, <laughs> trivia episode, is it? I guess not. But let's officially jump into themes and deep stuff. Deep stuff. Um, so I pulled a large quote from James Marsters, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will just say um, say that he when has been asked about this episode a lot, and I think has said multiple times similar stuff of um, he as an actor had an incredibly hard time with doing this episode. He talks about how between scenes, between shots, he would roll up into a fetal position. Um, and, uh, he, he says that Joss Whedon always pushed the writers to write about their worst day, the worst thing they've done. And that the kind of origin for this was one of the female writers after breaking up with a boyfriend in college, trying to get back together by like for trying to force sex on, on him. And that was her like worst thing she's ever done. And, um, the view from the writer's room was that. Because Buffy is super strong, because uh, she'll, this won't read as much as a th- of a threat. Um, and the thing James Marsters has said, which I think is really smart, especially for an actor, because they're dumb, um, <laughs> is that uh, he says, um, is, I'll, I'll find the direct quote. Um, he says, my argument was that actually when anyone is watching Buffy, they are Buffy. That's the vicarious experience that we're offering. And so do the audience, especially the female audience. They are not superheroes, but they are Buffy. And, uh, so I'm attempting to rape them and that doesn't quite work as well. Um, I think that's a really like good read of what happens. Right. Yeah, that is a very good quote. And then I also in prep for this episode, went back and re-listened to part of the interview he did with the Buffering podcast, which was they aired it on March 27 of 2019. So if you scroll back over a year in their sort of episode list, um, Michael, don't listen to this yet because I think there are other spoilers in it. Um, But the section where he talks about filming Seeing Red specifically is from um, an hour and nine minutes to an hour and 20 minutes of that episode. If if other um, uh, listeners want to go find that. And it's interesting. I read the quote that Dennis pulled from this AV club interview and his, the quote, he, part of the quote is almost word for word, what he also tells the buffering hosts in that interview. So clearly, I mean, obviously this episode was filmed. Well, I think you said in 2002, that was 18 whole years ago. He's had a long time to answer interview questions about this episode. And so he has clearly developed sort of like this is what i say about it but I, it it sounded right. genuine to me i don't think it's like he made it up i definitely um i i think it is you know it's it's his real experience but it is also something he's talking about that happened you know a very quite a long time ago now uh i feel like we kind of almost burned ourselves out on talking yeah. about this scene well uh, yeah another aspect of it is like i am not personally a survivor of sexual assault so this scene, it's like I I'm only able to process it from the point of view of like somebody who's like, this is terrible. And in general, I do not consume media that has 
sexual assault as a major theme, I will avoid books and movies if I hear that that is like a huge part of the plot in general, just because it's like, it's something you have to hear about so much already via the news, via just real life. Um, it's like, I don't also need to hear about that in my fiction. Um, and like, this is, I'm glad that it is not something that comes up more in Buffy. Um, and then that being said, it does, I don't, I don't like regret having it once in Buffy. Cause like you said, it is like, it is like, it is a thing that happens in life. And this is a show that is trying to handle real things, including, you know, death of parents and death of friends and other terrible stuff that human beings have to handle. So I don't know. I think I think the main I mean, we already sort of talked about whether this scene is like necessary or not to show how bad Spike is. And I think you can people can argue on either side of that necessary, but they chose to put it in. So that's what we get from the show. Yeah, the the only thing I want to kind of keep in my head when I deal with stuff like this is like. In, like in this example, whose story is being told here, mm. right? Is this being presented as an event in Buffy's story or is this being as presented as an event in Spike's story? And not that it can't be both, but um, I, the thing that I can, I'm concerned about in terms of uh, how depictions of sexual assault usually go in media is who's, whose point of view is happening here. Right. Mm. Or whose story is this an event in? And that's something that I think is a discussion we have to kind of wait till the end of season six to talk about. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's something that I, I keep struggling with in my own head when I think about about this scene. That's a super good point. And I would love for you as a podcast to hang on to that thread for the rest of the season. Um, OK, let's move on to uh, my your next point here. What is my next point? Uh, but the forgiveness. Oh yeah, just I already mentioned this. I re- just really like the scene between Xander and Buffy. Um, you know, they had a really tense conversation in which Xander storms out of his own apartment, yes. leaving Buffy behind. Um, <laughs> in that earlier part of this episode, that's a power move. Which we all commented on in our watch through as a group. We're like, did he just leave his own apartment? <laughs> it's, uh, Travis isn't here to repeat what he said during the viewing, but he was like, "That's like leaving the car you're driving." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he did say that. Um, so then, yeah, just to see, and it's like I feel like Xander and Buffy. Um, do have a fair amount of fights over the course of this show um, and it, we you know it's very easy to dump on Xander as a character and he does do shitty things but he does have a good heart that gets led astray and it's it's just it's really nice to see his good side and to see him like Buffy really can use some support right now and is going to need more support going forward. And it's really uh, nice and hopeful to think that Xander is maybe back in Buffy's corner and can be someone that she can count on and, and, and talk to and get hugs from and, you know, will be there for her basically. Yeah. So Xander's capacity to apologize might be the difference between being Xander and being Warren. Yeah. Right. Is it busy or, Apologize and, and to play a supportive role, right? Like that's. Yeah. To realize and to see and, and acknowledge his own mistakes yeah. and try and try to be his better self. Yeah. 
Also, he's taller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me, like, I mean, Xander standing up to Warren is like in the bar is for me not. I mean, it's like a nice moment, but like that is not what makes Xander a good guy. What makes right. Xander a good guy is is apologizing and saying, like, I'm sorry and I want to be there for you to a friend. Like, that's what makes him a hero, I think. Nice. That Xander Warren parallel, man, never thought of that. That's fantastic. There's so much there, but uh, we can wait on it. Probably Warren will be back next episode. I think they're going to drop this thread. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about Tara's death a little and explicitly talk about the barrier gaze gaze trope. Um, Let's jump in, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think every I think any TV watcher in the year 2020 is aware of the fact that many gay characters um, get introduced in a TV show, get a, a small run and then are killed at some point. And that this is like super common. Um, it is also it seems especially common with lesbian characters. Um, and uh, I think Tara's death was definitely not the first one of these, but it was a big one, partly because Tara had such a big role of this show, but then it's been repeated through many other TV shows. Um, one good example is, um, if anyone, I actually have not seen the TV show, the hundred, but there's a lesbian ship on there and, um, right, very shortly after the two characters finally get get together, and I believe have sort of like some happy moments that are sort of maybe parallel to this Willow and Tara get together. Lexa, one of the two characters, is killed by via a gunshot, um, and fans of the hundred were furious about this. And I think there was a huge amount of fan backlash and people boycotting the show, and especially being mad at the credited writer of that of the episode in which that happened. Um, and that writer is Javier Griot Marks Watch, and he did a really fantastic episode on the podcast Fansplaining, which is episode 82 of their show, which is from a couple of years ago now, where he talks about the writing of the episode in which Lexa is killed and then the fan backlash from it. And he talks about Willow and Tara in that episode and sort of like what he learned as a writer from going through that experience and why the choices were made that were made and why he would never make those choices again. Hmm. And it's a really, it's a really great episode. Um, he's a TV writer, showrunner. Um, and if anyone wants sort of a, a peer into the TV making process and then a, a conversation around um, death of lesbian characters, that's a really good. Hmm. That, that good reaction maybe as opposed to way Josh Whedon reacted to the criticism he got for this episode Um where, you know, he sort of doubles down and says, well, your suggestion that I can't kill her because she's a gay character means that, you know, that would be discrimination. And like that just like willful ignorance of the context you live in, like is uh, really stupid. I want to, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about like what statistics mean to the individual, Mm. right? Because like Tara dying is an individual experience, right? right? And like, this is a terrible thing that happens in the like emotionally a terrible thing that happens to to her and to everyone around. And like that experience lives on its own singularly. Right. But then when you take that and like that becomes a number in a show where you're like, OK, this show has two out gay characters. One of them just died. So versus like how many straight characters and how off, you know, what's their statistics with dying? And like the, the same thing, then you extrapolate based on like other shows and other movies. And that's like when you're like, Oh, this is a trope. 
this is um, bad representation in a way and stuff like that. But like in the micro in the microsphere of like just what's going on in the show, it doesn't feel like you're watching like a statistic. You feel like, mm. you know, so I, I guess that's one of the things I think about, about it being complicated to look at, like the math of entertainment, I guess. Right. Or just to say um, that, like, I mean, uh, wh- whenever you're, uh, whenever a piece of media, um, is doing a, a kind of representation that's not common, it's a lot of responsibility, right? And you can almost see why uh, why TV shows would or any piece of media would would avoid new kinds of representation that because it's a ton of responsibility. And if you it's it's easy to do harm rather than good or it's easy to like, you know, like and it's always going to be fraught. It's never going to be all 100 percent like a celebration. Right. And well, and that's why isn't it easier to instead of having one person represent all of a diverse group, have multiple characters so that. It's that'd be nice, like, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, I do have this, uh, I pulled up this interview from, uh, uh, with Amber Benson from, I guess it's called digital spy. Uh, but she talks about how at the end of season five, Joss Whedon, uh, approached her with like, guess what? We're going to kill your character. Um, but that, she was originally supposed to die at the beginning of season six, but they kept pushing it off and putting it off. Um, and that, uh, Marty Noxon has since expressed regret over Tara's demise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's, there was a lot of like, well, this is a good idea to hook people, but then they're like, but I don't actually want to do it because it's t- cause it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I mean, it feels like both a pulled punch and a, like a you know car like it it feels like a similar technique we've seen in this show i don't know this like uh pulled punch that is the full punch i mean that's interesting though about this trope about um gay characters being killed and i'm only commenting because i didn't jump in beforehand but is it because gay characters are so hard to write is it you know what are we avoiding by doing that is it because gay characters aren't main characters and we need in order to fuel drama we want to kill them yeah i i i I mean i think there's probably lots of reasons but i think that is one is that in a lot of tv shows yeah there's one queer character as part of an ensemble cast and they're not one of the top three they're maybe the fourth or the fifth or the sixth most sort of important or character or gets the most important you know screen time so um, because of that, and it's, I think it's very similar to like the one POC character of like an ensemble cast often is, yeah, sit somewhere between like fourth and sixth tier. So it's like, they're big enough a character that killing them isn't going to be important and all the rest of the characters will be affected by it, but not so it's not like killing Willow in this episode would have been, which would have been a completely different kind of choice to make. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I think probably it's, it's straight writers um not realizing how important the queer character is to the queer audience segment of their audience mm-hmm. um and also maybe not being as well versed in having watched every single show that has a queer character so they haven't <laughs> seen this over and over because like definitely um queer viewers especially in the early 2000s if there was even the faintest whiff of a queer character on a show all of the queer tv viewers would flock to that show i among them um, and that's definitely part of why I love the character of Andrew is like the other sort of like queer coded, though not explicit character in the show is like, 
I I was, you know, especially in the early 2000s, um, which for me was like high school into college, was like so hungry for any kind of queer characters in anything um, and deeply latched on to any that were around. Um, But like a straight viewer wouldn't have sought all those out, so wouldn't have seen these themes play out over and over, including a straight scriptwriter. And I think um, outside of TV, you get it like when you're looking at movies and stuff that trope exists and has existed in coding uh, most of the time throughout like the history of cinema. So one of my recommendations is going to be a documentary about that. But um, a lot of the times in those, the queer character is being killed as a form of punishment, like because a movie is a morality tale. Right. Um, So it's this like, you know, terrible, like, form of like like you know this is like to a punish this is a morality punishment that then when it uh continues to this day and it's like all a remnant of that even if like that's not why it's happening now but it's still like that's that coding still kind of exists like if you look at this episode in particular this is the most explicit willow and tara have ever been like the most sexually explicit and that's the episode that Tara dies, right? Yeah. Right. So she doesn't, you know, she's not dying dying be, to be punished for this, but like that's a read of it, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think I don't I don't I just I just I wonder, I should say. Like I feel like I wonder if there's a desire upon like I'm thinking like TV writers in the 90s and 2000s like if there's not a desire to write uh non-straight characters as tragic, right? I yeah. feel right. like there's totally. like going to be yeah. a desire to do that which on the one hand may help to tell certain stories, but on the other hand is going to completely frustrate uh, a desire that viewers are going to have to just see lives as being lived and normal. And, and I think that that's one of the things that like, uh, and again, in my research, like trying to like understand the, what conversation already exists around this episode, what a lot of people liked about uh, Willow and Tara specifically, even in season six, when they're to, in the parts when they're together or in season five, when they're together is that their relationship seemed so normal and just seemed so lived that as opposed to some grand tragic story, um, which is might be partly why this feels like such a portrayal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's famously that you will find, if you search for like lists of queer movies, like they will be like, you'll find articles that are like, here are, you know, 10 queer movies where no one dies or like with happy <laughs> endings or like, and it's like people have made it be like, yeah, of all of the queer movies that exist, here are a few that end well. And yeah, I mean, there's a hundred years of cinema and yeah, three movies. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, part of that, like sad stories are important and there are many sad right. gay stories. Like I think AIDS narratives are very important yeah. and we need to have movies and books that are those stories, but they're not the only stories. And it could be very fatalistic if it's the only stories that you hear. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think straight writers and queer writers for a while, it was like writing a sad gay story felt more realistic because it seemed like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, that like the lived experience of queer people often had tragedy and violence in it. But as we move into 2020 and beyond, more and more people hopefully can have, you know, like happy, easy, normal lives where the drama is related to other things. And like now, like I know I as a viewer and reader and lots of other people want yeah stories where a character is queer or trans or um, or whatever and is doing other stuff like the the problems are i don't know maybe it's you're pursuing a job or you're pursuing i don't know some other some other type of um story conflict 
Right. Yeah. Maybe the conflict is your robot arm and nothing yeah, to do with God. your girlfriend dying. Robot arms. Right so such a <laughs> such a bane of my existence. <laughs> I mean, that's strong drama. Robot arms. <sighs> I mean, the this this story about the responsibility of media, my utol is very interesting, and in that you felt such strong identification with. Uh, with the queer characters so that like when they're killed, you're killed and how terrible that must can feel over and over again. It's super interesting. Cause like, yeah, I mean, it seems like there's so much responsibility then. Cause then like, if you keep alive a character like Spike or Warren, right. And these other crew, but kill someone else, like you're, you're now like who, who giving the, the show to the people who have shared their point of view and saying their point of view is more important. Ah, gosh, it just puts so much responsibility on writers to be responsible. Mm-hmm. And I guess is why, like, ultimately, we well, we keep having these conversations about this show and how it's, like, both wonderful and disappointing. Yeah. yeah. It is, it's rich because it has successes and failures in it. Um, yeah, and then just one final note on this, unless other people have thoughts, is, like, yeah, as a queer viewer and you watch this ensemble show and there's the one queer character, the one queer-coded character, who, again, is often, like, fourth to sixth tier that is usually the queer viewer's favorite character. So the other part of it is if you see that character die over and over again in shows, is like you, what you come to think is you start watching a show, you start liking a character, you're like, that character will probably die. Um, to the point where my best friend, lesbian cartoonist Ashley Guillory, will begin almost any piece of media with the expectation that the character who's her favorite will die. Um, and when they don't, it's like a shock. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I think that's themes and deep stuff. Yeah. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Maya. Um, so let's move on to recommendations. Recommendations. Uh, Maya, you got the first few here. Yeah, I got a couple. Um, my first recommendation is for people to follow Tom Lank on Instagram. <laughs> um, because he is very funny. Um, he does various little series. One of them is Lank's Looks for Less, which is where he <laughs> remakes fashion looks out of like trash and um, various shit from his house. He especially, it does, it's really great when there are years in which there's a Met Gala. He will remake Met Gala looks out of like, you know, like trash bags and paper plates and like Christmas ornaments. And they're very charming. Um, he also famously um, is a Tilda um, Swinton impersonator um, and does has like a whole off Broadway show in which he <laughs> plays Tilda Swinton. Um, recently, since COVID has been started doing this series um, called Too Much Tom on My Hands, uh, where he rates mugs um like he went to his parents house and raided all of the mugs in their cabinet so basically just doing funny dumb shit for online um and he's just a, a, a character and his i find his online presence very uh warm and funny and charming um so that's my recommendation the other two are two just the two podcast episodes that i mentioned throughout so fansplaining episode 82 an interview with javier greer mark's watch um and then buffering podcast the episode that aired on march 27 of 2019 which is the interview with james marsters cool cool uh i'm going to recommend uh the documentary the celluloid closet about um the history of uh queer cinema in hollywood and you know coding and it has a whole montage about uh queer characters being 
killed in the movies. And it's like, um, it's a good, it's a good doc. It's based on a book. Um, it's from 1995. So it's really interesting to see how much has changed since then and how much hasn't. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to jump into some, uh, rape revenge exploitation movies, uh, which I only recommend if you like that kind of movie. So I'm not going to say, Maya, you should watch. I spit <laughs> yeah, on your I'm grave. skipping all of it'll, these. <laughs> it'll change your view about, <laughs> you know, sexual assault in cinema. But, uh, if you're up for those type of movies, I spit on your grave and last house on the left. Um, the thing both of those have that this episode doesn't is the revenge aspect. Um, it's you know. coming. We know it. Come on. Uh, it looks like Spike left town. I don't know if he'll ever be back. Um, and then I'm going to recommend, uh, based on Jonathan wearing a skin suit of <laughs> a creature, I'm going to recommend movies where creatures wear skin suits of humans, starting with Men in Black. Uh, the Roach wears an Edgar suit played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Super fun. Um, I had, I had, there's a really long list of these, but I've recommended like half before. But, you know, I don't think I've ever recommended Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal escapes prison by wearing a guy's face. Um, I mean, if it works for Hannibal, it's, it works for Jonathan, right? <laughs> That's why I ride uh, mushrooms or mushrooms. Wow. That's why I ride elephants around because if it works for Hannibal. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mushrooms. Uh, I don't know why I said mushrooms. That's a really weird Freudian slip. It makes no sense. <laughs> you, you mentioned mushrooms at one point earlier in this episode, but only I once. did. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Suspicious. There's a fungus among us. Uh, all right. So that's Rex. Uh, why don't we do, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I had to pitch this episode, but I think we got a, a pitch made to us. So we'll save mine for later. I haven't had the courage to actually pitch that we do a Star Trek podcast because I knew that I, it would be the torches and pitchforks. But uh. <laughs> I, I have to say, so I have seen very little Star Trek, like astonishingly small amount. And it's a thing that I like kind of want to get into but again what i said is like i don't normally watch tv series that have more than 10 episodes right and so i'm like and there's so much of it and i don't know where there to is start. so much of it um and it's but i i feel like i feel like a rewatch podcast might be the thing that like helped me get into it so just i know it's like a big commitment and like i don't even know what series you would do and i don't even know if the other friends in the friend group are on board but like just not. have that be <laughs> on the table amongst all the other rando suggestions. Yeah. The thing is, so we're on like, we're on a show that's seven seasons, right? Yeah. And yeah. we're like struck. We're at this point, we're struggling. We're kind of burned out. Yeah. I don't like to think about Buffy anymore. <laughs> oh, Dennis, Dennis. I know it's like, yeah. you know, we're in season six. Yeah, but you're exhausted. so like, you're on the home stretch, man. Like, like I, Star Trek every season, except for the first or. There's a role, there's a run of series that are seven seasons. Yeah. So like, yeah, um, maybe do something shorter. Like don't, maybe don't, don't Star Trek <laughs> is not the next. It's like, yeah. If do, it's Star Trek, it's only the original season or mm-hmm. it's a curated list of episodes mm. that are specifically achieving a thing. And it is a mini series, like a British series of like an idea, but dude, 
no way am I doing another TV show cast after this. Like, <laughs> I, this is insane. I would be very down for a curated, even if you chose like top five or something or oh. top 10. I don't know. Like I would, I as a listener would be into a, a, a curated sampling. Here's, and, here's what I would be into is like not doing a podcast, but just making a plan to watch an episode of Star Trek every now and then with John. Yeah, <laughs> I would be into that. <laughs> Hundred percent, hundo, absolutely. Um, but my, I would just as a person who likes TV, I would say to you that um, the thing you said earlier about Buffy, which is that it is interesting for its successes and its failures, that that is the attitude to take towards Star Trek, and that is okay. why I, that is why I am still a Star Trek fan. Is because uh, as opposed to, and I think just because if you look on the fandom these days, there are people who can't handle the failures. Uh, mm. Yeah. Uh, or, well, or choose mean, to ignore them. Um. Talk about successes and failures. I mean, my longest running fandom is Harry Potter. And boy, has it been challenging to be a Harry Potter fan in oh, 2020. Um, especially a trans non-binary Harry Potter fan. And I am pretty sure that after this year, I will never be reading a new J.K. Rowling book ever again. Um, but I am still engaged with talking about the Harry Potter series. And part of it is because it is just such an interesting mix of really standout moments and really fall down moments. And that is just makes for good conversation. Um, so yeah. My, uh, this is maybe just for talking and not for the podcast, but my nieces are, are in their, um, Harry Potter phase right now. Mm-hmm. And it's super delightful. Like that we we uh chat through this video app and so they're like one of them is dressed as Harry Potter half the time now. And it's the same thing is happening. Remember when Alina's kids were into Harry Potter yes. and they would get angry at me for mispronouncing magic yeah. words? Yeah. The same thing is happening. Where I'm like, Oh, are you guys at the Quidditch match? And they're like, Quidditch? It's not Quidditch. It's <laughs> and I'm like, it's a magical made up word. I can pronounce it how I hear it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the other thing is I still find it very joyful to share Harry Potter with young people, especially people who are in that sort of age of they're the age of the characters and they're experiencing it for the first time. I love talking to Alina's kids about Harry Potter. Um, and I'm never going to like like if they still want to talk about it next time we hang out, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm mad at J.K. Rowling. So I'm not talking about Harry yeah. Potter. Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I yeah. mean, that's yeah. And these these are kids who like, you know, their two favorite uncles are gay and like they're. They will get to that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But They'll come right to now they're just enjoying this, the fantasy world. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and, and, you know? and this is a rough year in which I think any whimsy and fantasy and joy we can get out of media. Like, yeah, please, especially yeah, kids it. are having to do these like do we, yeah. online classes and it's like, yeah, they don't I get see to them go. when the school, since the school year has begun suffering, just being like going yeah. from happy kids to miserable. And it's like, if they want to like, play at harry potter for part of the day like please it's like they don't even get to go to normal school let alone hogwarts like please let them go to hogwarts in their imaginations god yeah anyway 2020 so that was probably not for the podcast yeah (laughs) Yeah, i've been wanting to i've been wanting to talk harry potter every now and then yeah there's a podcast idea (laughs) so now and then the occasional harry potter cast um uh, so where do we go from here? We go to right to predictions. Virgin predictions. Okay. Uh, 
It's, yeah, this episode, it's so uneven. Like, it feels weird even doing predictions this episode. Like, <laughs> let's, play gotta, a fun, let's play a fun game with a spreadsheet in this episode. After we all feel terrible. I feel like that should also be John's quote for, <laughs> like, defining what he thinks is fun. Let's do a fun <laughs> game with a spreadsheet. Okay, so Michael, uh, at the moment, your overall accuracy is a 65.07, and your accuracy this season is currently at a 72.73. Woo, that's good. Yeah, second best uh, season at the moment. Uh, (laughs) Still trying to see if we can catch up to your current best season, which is season two. Um, Mm. Seems less likely than it used to that you would do. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. All right. So, uh, turning the page back to season four, episode 22, uh, we have a handful of predictions here that are just terror predictions, things that we assume will not now come true. Um, oh, shit. No I'm done so, now. Yeah. So, Michael predicted that Tara was in Willow's dream and remembers it. This is one that, uh, you know, we know, I guess, that Tara was in Willow's dream, but whether or not it's something that she can remember, uh, I don't really know what to do with this one. This might might not be. It sort of refers to the internal state of a character. I don't know, Dennis. What do you think we should do with this one? Um, I think we should deny it just because it didn't come up. Okay. All right. Uh, shame Travis is not on. Oh no, Travis. <laughs> He's not here to defend you. No. Okay. All right. So that one's going to be denied. In a similar vein, Tara will write on Buffy's body. I think you meant to say Willow's body, but in any case, uh, that's denied. Tara doesn't write on anybody's body. Alas. Um, let's see. Uh, we have one here from a little bit earlier, season four, episode 17. Jonathan will join the Scooby gang for an adventure and not be very helpful. Um, he definitely, in this episode, changes sides, right? He's on the side of the angels for at least a moment in this episode. Yeah. Um, where he gives Buffy the clue. And I think uh, this probably doesn't directly uh, confirm this prediction in the sense that uh, he doesn't really join for an adventure, right? I think it's only a momentary switching of sides. And he was helpful. So, you know, part of the prediction is he's not helpful. So I think it's almost the opposite, which is that uh, Jonathan will join the Scooby gang for an instant and become helpful. It's almost the opposite <laughs> of what Michael predicted, but this could still happen. So I think we it could it still open. happen. I just, it felt like it was like yeah. close enough to events that it should be brought up. Worth discussing. Uh, season five, episode 14, Michael predicted that Dawn is going to tell Spike how she feels about him. And I think when this was predicted, this was when Dawn had a crush on Spike. Nevertheless, I think that this has totally become true. Uh, Dawn has confronted Spike specifically to unload and to tell Spike how she feels about his behavior. So I think this one's definitely confirmed. Wow. Good call. I give it a vote. I give it an up vote. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even consider that one um, because I was thinking about what that meant at the time, not what the literal. Yeah. You know, I wasn't being literal enough. (laughs) Okay. Season six, episode five, Michael predicts that the trio will reuse the demon costume that Jonathan wears from Life Serial. They didn't, but there is more dressing up of Jonathan in demon suits, yeah. right? It, get, it, get, it gets brought up this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's like, why can't I just use a glamour like I did before, basically? Yeah. Uh, but it's the, yeah, it's so close. Close. Yet wrong. Close, but wrong. So we're going to leave that one open for now. Could still happen. 
Okay, season six, episode six, Michael predicted that Tara will be unintentionally killed by Willow's magic. Can see where you're going with this prediction. Definitely can see where you're going with it. Unfortunately, that is not how Tara is killed. So that's denied. Unfortunately. I don't know if it's unfortunate. I always wish Tara was still alive. <sighs> season six, episode six, and this is a super prediction. Tara will die in season six. Well, congratulations, Michael. <laughs> I hope, I hope you're, you're happy. happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Five points. Okay. Uh, season six, episode seven, the bronze will get damaged again. Uh, does the bronze really get damaged? There's definitely a fight in the bronze. Does the, Dennis, did you happen to notice any structural damage or? Uh, I saw damage to a pool table, but that I don't see. That counts. Okay. Pool table the is the bronze. If you're watching yeah. as the bronze, you feel hurt. Yeah. <laughs> they they God, have to I pay to even, replace it. When they, that scene in the bronze, I was like, is this the bronze? Like it looked so different <laughs> from the last time yeah. I've been there as, as in an episode that I've joined. I was like, God, the sign is different. The lighting is different. The What's layout different seems is different. That, Xander is sitting at the bar having like a yeah. fancy cocktail next to a lady also having a fancy cocktail. And like, it's the bar it's the place where that happens, but it's also the place where you like <laughs> eat crackers. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> the bronze is a weird place. Also yeah. the so, whole attend everyone in the bronze now seems to be the age that they are instead of full of <laughs> underage teenagers as it was when they were underage teenagers. Anyway, the crowd has changed. Yeah. Bronze has grown with them. Or maybe when you're an adult, te teens become invisible. They're there. I wish that was camera true. just doesn't see them. Season six, episode eight. <laughs> Willow and teacher. Tara won't get back together in season six. Uh, that is false. They did get back together. However, tragically. Season six, episode nine. Uh, Michael predicts that at least one action figure will be destroyed in season six. Uh, we didn't explicitly see the action figures get destroyed, but we did see a basement full of action figures get destroyed. Yeah, I the basement like is destroyed. Just, we should just confirm this. I mean, it's so close. My <laughs> argument is that those are statuettes that we see. Oh, no. <laughs> They're not posable. It's true. It's true. They're not posable. It's a, fa it's a fair point. Zero uh, points of articulation. Bullshit. I don't know enough of the action figures to get... To win at this. I, but, I, I but, would give this because I feel like that house is pretty toast. There, now. there are definitely action figures in that basement. Yeah, we know that they have action figures. Yeah. Um, I think that's confirmed. Let's. I just wanted to be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Statuettes. Those are Aurora models. Unposable. Oh no. Okay. All right. Uh, season. I six have a new action figure, by the way. Ooh. Uh, it's Stripe from Gremlins. Nice. And he comes with. A skateboard. It's pretty cool. And a chainsaw, but I'm more into the skateboard. Season six, episode 13, uh, same episode, similar prediction. Jonathan is going to jail. And so he has. That is a uh, very well predicted, I think. I, that's an the impressive. big house. <laughs> yeah, that's an impressive prediction. I think. Oh, thank uh, you. Okay. Season six, episode 16. Xander is going to be seriously injured. He's beat up. Is he seriously injured? I I mean, that was pretty serious, I think. He got thrown across the room. He hit the floor. He was bloody. And I also, I mean, it seemed like Warren was going to kill him if not for their bank robbery thing they needed to go to. Yeah. I think that seemed pretty serious, honestly. Unless you have a more serious injury in mind, John. <laughs> uh. 
Uh, I mean, he was one clobber away from death. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty serious. <laughs> All right. All right. Just seemed like he walked away, but okay. Yeah. He did, but like. And this, this is, is a, a super show. prediction. Okay. All right. Oh, then we should deny it. <laughs> <laughs> Season six, episode 17, Michael predicts there will be a Star Trek reference. Uh, this was obviously a prediction about the show, not about the podcast. Otherwise, it would have been <laughs> confirmed long ago. Uh, but that is now confirmed. Uh, Klingons being part of the Star Trek universe. Okay. That's all f- really quite a few confirmations. A couple denials in there. Two super confirmations, which is impressive. And we have one more that we cannot confirm on our own. We need Michael to answer. Oh, what's sorry. What, what's that? Uh, Willow and Tara's relationship will oh. make me cry in a future episode. Oh. We need Michael to answer this question. <laughs> um, shoot. You know what? Watching with other people is tough. I didn't. I wasn't brought to tears while watching with people, but I was um, anesthetized against the drama by friendship. Yeah. So. That's tough. I didn't cry. Do you think you would cry if you watched it again by yourself? I think if I had done it by myself, I might have. You well, know, if you can make yourself everything. cry, that's a free confirmation. You just gotta. <laughs> it's um, a question I... of your will, really. And it says it also says make me cry in a future episode. So you can't think about it later and cry. It has uh. to be. Here's the here's the thing. You could leave this open because. Um, I feel like Michael could yet still cry about this. Absolutely, he could. I, I, yeah, I, I think wanna, it's definitely staying open. I want tears of vengeance. Okay, I want to cry. Ooh, yeah, I, I want tears. Scared. Tears of a clown, baby. Yeah, mm. yeah. The emotion isn't stated. It was too. It's too weak. Uh, I, I. Yeah, I, I'm not. I didn't. If cry Willow yet, and Tara got you know. together and like fed you some wasabi, that could that could count. <laughs> yeah, that would be strange. <laughs> Amber Benson and Michelle Tracker, uh, Allison Hannigan came to my house, put hot sauce in my eyes. (laughs) Okay, Uh, that is uh, an impressive showing, I have to say. Uh, hmm. uh, Thus, your overall accuracy, Michael, has climbed uh, 0.6%, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot uh, at this point in the game. Uh, So you're now at a 65%. 0.6%. Your accuracy for this season. Now you got to double check something here. How is this possible? (laughs) It says it's dropped. Mm. I think it has. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Because, you know, the way the math works is that if you're doing worse than your previous average, right? Uh Uh-huh. So yeah, I know spreadsheets. Yeah, your accuracy, uh, your overall accuracy for this season has in fact dropped um, well, from a 72.73 to 71.59. Math is so cruel. Yep. Still a C. They're doing great. All right, more predictions. Uh, prediction one, Tara gets a funeral next episode. I know funerals are rare on this show, but I think Tara will get a funeral next episode. Will we open at the funeral? I don't know, but she's really dead and there's going to be no magical resurrection. Uh, Warren will break Andrew out of jail. I don't want to say Jonathan. He might also break Jonathan out of jail, but he will definitely break Andrew out of jail. Hmm. Buffy and Don move out of the Summers house. I know this is unlikely, but this is a scary house. <laughs> I hope it's safe <laughs> there. I'd like them to move out. 
Um, Tara will appear in a future episode. Okay, even though she's dead, she can come back. Joyce came back. Tara's going to appear again. This is just an easy, I know it's going to happen. The show loves playing with our emotions. You can bring her back, blip her out. Super, Willow's going to kill Warren. In this season. I mean, whatever. Just don't need to say that. Okay. It is so recorded. Will they come true? There's only one way to know. To watch more episodes. How many episodes this season? 22? We're almost done? Yeah. Yep. Wow. And we got we got a bunch of Angel episodes to watch also. There's so much Angel. Angel! <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Maya, uh, where can people find you? And as a follow-up, what do you do? <laughs> um, I'm a cartoonist and a writer. And people can find me on the internet at Red Gold Sparks on Tumblr and Instagram and I guess on Patreon at patreon.com slash myacobabe. Yeah. What's your uh, Instagram? And tw- uh, sorry. What's your Instagram handle? Red Gold Sparks. Like the color, the color and sparks. And yes, that is a <laughs> Harry Potter reference, <laughs> uh, which I'll probably hang on to until the end of the internet. <laughs> Cool, cool. Um, well, I've been your host, Dennis St. John, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dennis Comics. That's D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X. That's also my dot com. If you want some samples of my comics, you can also buy my comics there. Um, thank you one and all for listening and talking to us at Buffy Virgin. Don't forget to rate us, and we hope you're subscribing. You can watch us on YouTube. Our Twitter is at Buffy Virgin Pod. Our Instagram is Buffy Virgin. You can check us out at BuffyVirgin.com. Reach out. We love to hear from you. We'll see you in hell.